Well, we're starting to get some clarity, and I think that's a good thing. Welcome in. Today is Thursday, September 17th, and this is the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, Jamie Football beat writer at the paper, joined alongside today by Shane Metlin, the James Madison basketball writer at the DNR, and Cody Elliott, who covers all prep sports for the news record. Guys, how you doing? What's going on? Cody, how are you? Busy day, huh? Yeah, super busy day for me. Um, finally, a little bit of clarity, though. Finally, I can start, you know, looking at the calendar and uh, maybe making a schedule a little bit for the upcoming months, and that, that's something I haven't been able to do for quite some time, so pretty excited about that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And Shane, it was, it was a busier evening yesterday uh, for, for you. Yeah, they did us a little bit of a favor, spreading it out over two days with all the announcements and everything. But, uh, yeah, last night was the night sort of for uh, college basketball and football. You had to deal with um, the FCS playoff situation, although that wasn't much of a surprise to anybody. But, yeah, finally getting some idea of what's happening with the basketball schedule and, you know, if not what teams everybody are going to play, at least when they can start playing and how many games they have to play and all of that you know, good stuff. Yeah, no question, no question about it. And I know it's not the immediate sports uh, that like the Big Ten is going through and you're seeing some high school, uh, some states around the country play high school football on a flip of a switch. Uh, But at least locally now, we have an idea of what is likely, what is probably going to happen. You have this all on the calendar now officially. It's been approved by whoever and, and whatever committees i know in the ncaa they got more committees in the government uh vhsl has finally done their due diligence uh they've approved uh what what they needed to approve for for that to be finalized so we're going to go through all of that today just to give our readers of the dnr and and listeners the rocktown sports pod a better idea of what's going to happen and kind of what the impact is locally i think that's a good plan for today's podcast So I want to touch on, of course, the college hoops news that occurred yesterday, the FCS football news that was finalized yesterday, had been in the works for quite some time. And today, we'll start with what happened today, though, in the BHSL, the Virginia High School League. Cody, there was a meeting and a vote right around 1 p.m. on a Zoom call that you were part of. Yeah, it's something that I guess you could say it's been expected for about a month now. Um, you know, the, the league unveiled this uh, championships plus one model um, back in late August uh, and, and pretty much didn't make any major changes. Um, they were supposed to meet on September 3rd. We got pushed back two weeks to get some more feedback from administrators and coaches. Um, and basically just, you know, it, it set a plan uh, for the upcoming year in terms of games, in terms of how the playoffs will work for different teams, things like that. Um, I think the big thing, you know, uh, of note is that teams in every sport, um, they're playing 60% of what they usually play. And, and obviously that looks a lot different for each sport. You know, you know, when you look at football, that's only six regular season games. Uh, and basketball, it's 14. Um, volleyball, 12. Baseball, 12. Uh, soccer, 10. So, you know, it really cuts down a lot of those events in the regular season for the kids. Um, and then especially when you get to the playoffs, that's where it really gets interesting because, um, you know, Typically, in a sport like football, you have eight teams that advance to the regional. The same with basketball and things like that. You have eight teams. Um, now it's only going to be four, and that really eliminates the um, the, the chance or, or the opportunities there for, for a lot of teams. 
Um, basically, if you don't, you know, in, in a sport like football, if you don't run the table or, or lose one game, it's almost you're, you're almost basically not given a chance. And that's where the plus one factor does come in is uh, any team that does not qualify for regionals this year, um, they have an opportunity to play another team that didn't qualify for regionals um, and an, an extra game there. Uh, obviously, it's a game for the kids to play. Um, you know, obviously, gate opportunities. It's very similar to what the Big Ten is doing uh, in football. Um, so, you know, whether that's a plus or negative, I'm not really sure how I feel about that yet because, you know, I'm not sure an 0-12 baseball team is going to come back out there and play a game against the 1-11 team and, and, you know, how that goes. But for the most part, um, you know, it seems like a good plan. And um, like I said, for the first time, I think, in, in, in a long time, there's finally some stability and at least some reason to kind of have hope um, moving forward in these next few months before we get to December. Were there today on the call, were there any points that were argued about back and forth? Was there any concern, uh, whether it be to the crossover, uh, when you have that crossover season and, and some teams are pushing for the playoffs and other teams are trying to get their season started? Was there any concern uh, that the VHSL discussed today with that plan? I, I think the biggest um... – I guess you could say concern that was brought up and this was brought up at, at the first thing in the meeting was uh, there was a let them play rally um, earlier this week in Richmond on Monday, um, parents and uh, some, some athletes and, and things like that. It was a small group, about 50, 75 people uh, marching the streets, kind of hoping to kind of push the VHSL into, into maybe bringing back football this fall um, and other fall sports as well. Obviously um, we've seen other States kind of reverse course on that decision and, and open up. Um, they were hoping that the VHSL would do that as well. And, uh, you know, he, he responded to that. There's also a petition out there with, with almost 5,000 signatures that's been asking the VHSL to, to change. But the bottom line is, you know, and they, and they made that clear today, was, you know, it all comes down to the superintendents and what, what they're allowing in each region. And, you know, while the, while the city county schools around here and in this area have been fortunate enough to get going and be able to work out under the VHSL guidelines, um, there are still a lot of teams out there that haven't even been able to start doing that yet. Um, you know, they're, they're still, whether they're practicing at all or they might be stuck in the very basic parts and to expect them to be able to turn around and field a team and, and start a season this, this early. Um, it's just not realistic and just not possible. And, and with everything else with, that the, the, the um, superintendents are going through right now with trying to get these schools open to back up and, and safely and doing things like that, um, you know, their argument was there's just too much on their plate right now to try to, to throw in the fact of now figuring out how we can open up athletics across the state. Um, you know, like I said, I think it's harder for, for folks around here and, and probably in a lot of, you know, areas around this state to, to understand that. But there are parts of the state that are still, um, you know, pretty limited in what they can do for, for different reasons. And, you know, until the VHSL gets some more leeway from the governor's office, that's not going to change. And so um, the best bet for now is to wait. And so I think the, under those circumstances, I think, you know, their plan now to start December 7th um, and, and run through into June next year, I think is – it's a pretty solid one, and, and, you know, it gives every kid and every team um, out there in every sport a chance to still play for a state championship, and I think that's important. Yeah, no, no question about that. What, what's what been the reaction of, of coaches locally? Uh, it's something that they've anticipated coming, uh, I'm sure. What have you heard from, from coaches, players, athletic directors uh, in the city county? Yeah, I think, you know, over the past few weeks, especially as people have seen those teams, you know, you turn on ESPN and you see the high school football games going on in Georgia and Utah and all these places. And I'm sure, you know, 
people start to question again, like I said, especially we're in, a, in an area like this, people start to question why we're not playing. Um, but for the most part, I think, you know, folks are just, again, happy to have some kind of plan and some kind of um, reason, you know, the, the season wasn't canceled. They still get to play in the spring. Um, and I think at this point, you know, most of the coaches and players have basically turned their mindset towards that. Now, you know, they're preparing for the spring. Um, basketball is now preparing for the winter like they normally would. They're preparing to be the first sport to start. Um, yeah, but with all that being said, you know, I think everyone right now still, even after all this has been voted on and things are official, it's still, you know, kind of cautious optimism because what we've learned is this is just a very fluid situation. And every week it seems like something else happens or something changes. And, you know, like I said, the VHSL is really just kind of, they, they, they can only do but so much under the, the governor's orders and what, what, you know, what's going on across the state. Um, and, and the VHSL is trying to make things equal for every school in the state instead of having to rely on, on local officials to make independent decisions. And I think that's smart. I think that's good. I think that's, that's, that'll be better for everyone in the long run. Um, it's just not always so easy to understand now. But, you know, overall, I think it's a happy um, reaction. I think everybody's excited. Uh, and like I said, I think, we're, I think there's, a, there's a lot more reason for hope now than there was maybe a month or two ago. I think people now are starting to feel like, okay, maybe we can make this thing happen. And, you know, that's something – um, you know, quite frankly, a lot of the kids and a lot of the coaches probably needed at this point. Yeah, I, I think just having that that knowing that, that there's something concrete is is certainly positive across the board for, for everybody involved. And I want to bring Shane into the conversation here, too, uh, because, Cody, I've noticed in a lot of your stories recently, whether it be football, basketball, where you feature certain athletes, older athletes that are starting to get college looks, they're, they're doing so in a different way because the NCAA has a dead period, and that dead mm-hmm. period was extended through the end of the year yesterday uh, officially by the Division One Council. I wanted to bring Shane in because Shane's covering the basketball recruiting from JMU's perspective, of course, and, and so, some around the CAA too. What do you think the impact is just for high school athletes trying to be recruited uh, it's a little different Division One, Shane, obviously, than, than somebody trying to go to a Division Two, II, Division Three school. What do you think that aspect uh, of this whole situation with the Virginia High School League is and, and then pushing to three seasons in the spring as opposed to, to playing the traditional times of year where you'd have football now, basketball in the winter, and baseball and, and everything else in the spring? I know, you know, when you talk to players and their families that are being recruited at that level, whether it's Division Two, Division One, Division Three, even – the big concern is we're not playing games. Coaches can't come out and see us. How, how are they going to see us? Are we going to get as many offers? We can't visit campuses. And um, you know, there's just a lot of concern about, you know, whether they're going to get recruited, whether they're going to have the same kind of opportunities as they might expect. And there's been a lot of, you know, virtual type of things, AAU games or streaming um, for coaches to watch and things. But it's definitely a different recruiting process than they've, you know, come to expect. And they're, like I said, it's just a concern about if those opportunities are going to be there for them. And I think it's kind of, you know, been alleviated a little bit here over the past, you know, several weeks because coaches are figuring out ways to see players. They're having kids come into campus through the administration's office rather than having set up as a official athletic visit where everything's paid for and everything. There, there's workarounds and things, but it's definitely a different situation. And like Cody said, they're going to play a shortened basketball season. And um, on the basketball side, 
maybe a lot of the recruiting doesn't happen as much during the high school season as it does in other sports, but that's going to be an issue for football and Mm -hmm. baseball and a lot of, you know, sports where, you know, they are used to having a longer season and coaches having access to game film and things that just won't be as much of this time around. Yeah. I think, I think it was Kurt Signetti, the James Madison football coach who told me uh, this 2021 recruiting class football wise is going to be the class most put together on tape, maybe maybe in the history of the program. Uh, and that's old tape, too. It's from, from last year, so you're not getting as fresh of a look on players as possible, in addition to the normal camp circuit that all these high school football prospects go through during the summer and coaches can get kind of hands-on with them. Uh, so the recruiting aspect is, is kind of fascinating. Uh, Cody, your, your story about Nate Tennell, uh, recently really stuck out to me. It, it kind of sounded, and Danny Grog's doing a great job, it kind of sounded like he had the right approach and, and kind of stomping on the table and, and making sure that, that, that his athlete is known. Are you noticing that from coaches around the area and in the city county? I am. You know, I, I, obviously these coaches are always going to, you know, try to get their kids' names out there, and they're going to they're gonna be on their side regardless. But I've noticed it especially more, more this summer. Um, I've seen a lot more coaches just be super active on social media, um, active through email, things like that, trying to get these kids' names. You know, I think across the area, you just look at – there's so many athletes last year. I felt like this year's senior class had a lot of kids – now we're really primed for kind of not breakout seasons. They kind of already had their breakout, but really those big years like kind of elevates you to getting those offers and those looks. And, you know, even just yesterday or a day, or a day before, I wrote that story on the Liberty girls basketball team, and they had two first-team All-State performers there who, you know, in any other year, two girls that led a program like that to a state championship unexpectedly, um, two first-teamers. Uh, with the numbers they had, you know, you would expect that those offers would just start rolling. But it, they were literally uh, the last game that the, that we played in the VHSL season last year. And so every, right after that, the NCAA shuts down the recruiting. And next thing you know, you know, they're stuck having to send their videos out and things like that again. So it, it's definitely created a lot of challenges. But I think, you know, what's kind of cool for the kids is they've seen their coaches kind of um, go to bat for them and, and really, you know, put their name out there and, and try to help them as much as they can. And obviously that's going to be, you know, a continued um, issue moving forward. I know talking to Joe Lucas, the Ray girls coach, he said he's hoping that by December, um, if the VHSL kind of changes some of the regulations, maybe some of the college coaches can come to some practices um, and, and check them out there. But, yeah, I mean, AU ball's still been going on a little bit, but it's still, I mean, it's obviously changed tremendously in terms of what the coaches can do, where they can go, things like that. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to a lot of these athletes because they're out there and the team, and these colleges need them. Um, it's just a matter of how what they do to try to find them now because it's not nearly as easy as it was maybe a year ago. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly a fascinating aspect. Shane, did you want to say something? Oh, just, um, you know, even if the VHSL decides to allow that kind of thing, there's also the NCAA aspect of it where they're not right. allowing coaches to go out on the road and mm-hmm. recruit in person or bring kids into campus. And, you know, that, you know, there were a thousand division one basketball players that transferred this <laughs> off season. Only what's, a it thousand? Gonna like, what's it going to be like in a year or two when these teams are loaded with kids who hadn't visited campus, hadn't met their <laughs> coaches in person, hadn't met any of the teammates. Uh, it's, it could be uh, pretty insane in a year or two when, you know, they're kind of rushing to make decisions and, you know, realizing it wasn't what they necessarily signed up for. Yeah, that's that's certainly a fascinating aspect of it. The, the transfer portal 
that that thing has gotten a workout <laughs> in its short existence uh, for for sure, both on the basketball side, most prominently the basketball side, uh, but the football side as well. Let's let's switch gears a little bit though, and, and talk about the men's basketball decision, uh, the college basketball, not just men's, the women's basketball season too is part of this. Uh, the college hoop season uh, came down from the NCAA yesterday that it will start November 25th. So pushed back a little bit, but Shane, I think pretty palatable considering what's going on, uh, not only with football this fall, where you'd have some leagues push back a week or two, some leagues not play, and then ultimately, as of yesterday, decide to play, a la the Big Ten. Uh, and then you think back to what happened in the spring where everything got scrapped. I think pretty palatable that college basketball going to start November 25th, just a slight delay. Yeah, and, you know, basketball is a little bit different situation where – for one thing, they don't have an overarching commissioner or anything that controls the whole thing. But NCAA Vice President Dan Gavitt has worked with the National Basketball Coaches Association, um, has, you know, kind of universal respect around the sport and was able to kind of step in and take that leadership role as opposed to college football where there wasn't really anybody in charge of the whole thing. And plus, there's also the situation where it's 353 teams that basically all have the same goal. They want to play the NCAA tournament at the end of the year, whereas football, it's, you know, there's the FCS level, there's the Power Five teams and their, you know, playoff that's basically set up for them and the, the group of five teams that are kind of left out and in between all of that. Um, so yeah. it's, it's a little bit different. It was a little bit easier to come up with a comprehensive plan for basketball, although you still have a little bit of, um, I guess, derision, people wondering, well, what's the point of delaying it only two weeks? Um, but I think, you know, the big factor there was, for the most part, campuses are kind of going to be cleared out around Thanksgiving. And even after Thanksgiving, between that time and the start of the second semester, because a lot of schools are not planning on bringing the students back for final exams and um, so I think that was part of the reason they decided to start when they did. It kind of gives them a little bit of a, you know, buffer area where, you know, they're not dealing with as much going on campus-wise where they kind of have, you know, their own area to work with and try to keep things safe. Yeah, I mean, you, you saw the difference uh, just with ha what happened at JMU with the increase in coronavirus cases uh, when the athletes were – only on campus, only starting to trickle back, and then when the general student body trickled back. And it's what college football is dealing with uh, and what you're seeing with some cancellations uh, across the country. I think today there was one game canceled too, Charlotte and UNC, uh, for, for this weekend that was canceled because of the in increase in coronavirus uh, cases with Charlotte. So it's been going on around the country, and one way to avoid that, obviously, is to kind of live in that bubble where you don't have the rest of the student body uh which you you know have come from all over the country uh to their respective college campus now how is it impacting jmu because the atlantic union bank center brand new beautiful building supposed to open in november what's the situation is jmu i know we've spoken to jeff Bourne about it What's your take? Is, is Jamie going to be able to open this thing? Are they going to be able to get in that building and display it at least uh, partially to how they want to do it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the odds that there's some games played there are pretty high. Whether there are any fans in the building, whether it's 1,000 to 2,000, which is, you know, about 20 to 25% capacity, um, you know, how they decide to do that, I don't know. Um, it kind of all depends on what the COVID numbers look like here in the coming weeks and months. Um, but I think the odds that they're playing some games inside that building are pretty high. But you know, they're not going to enjoy necessarily sold out crowds with, you know, big name opponents coming in, which they kind of hoped, you know, that was kind of, when you look at the situation, in some ways, you know, people are looking at this of like, okay, we're delaying this two weeks, we're cutting down the maximum number of games by about four, which is about the number of games most teams had scheduled in that first two week period. So if things kind of calm down and we're able to just kind of move forward with the schedules as are, it kind of works out logistically, okay, well, we can just cancel those first four games and move on. Yeah. But you look at a JMU situation, they would much rather play their home game against Virginia and right. go play at Georgia Tech where <laughs> they're going to get a nice payday and play in front of in an area where they like to recruit a lot. Um, they'd rather play those games maybe more than some of those later season non-conference games, especially against Division three opponents and things like that. So if they could reshuffle things, they would like to. But that, you know, really opens up Pandora's box trying to figure out how you make everything work, moving things around. And then they don't know, you know, what teams might be able to play, what teams can leave the state, what states they can travel to to play games at this point. So there's just a lot of stuff that's up in the air, even though they know, okay, we can start here, we can play this many games, but then there's a lot of questions beyond that. Yeah. Have you gotten any sense of if Virginia would be willing to reschedule that game, whether it's for this season or maybe a future year? Yeah, and, you know, you were, I think, with me when we talked to Jeff Bourne the other day, and, you know, he – kind of just expressed hope that everyone's going to display some common sense and flexibility and, you know, work through any issues that come with contracts, renegotiating things. Um, you know, they would like to play Virginia this year, but if not, I think they definitely want to get that home game on campus at some point, if it's at all possible. It's just, you know, everybody kind of has their own thing going on. Um, but, you know, I think we're pretty aware that, you know, Jeff Bourne and, you know, Mark Byington and everyone has pretty good relationships with the administration and the coaches and everything at UVA. So I think, you know, you'll likely see something worked out so that, you know, JMU isn't just kind of totally left holding the bag on what was going to be a really big event for them. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And, and maybe you never know, maybe, Virginia ends up coming to Harrisonburg as, as part of a bubble. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's possible. That's a story uh, you wrote about this week is the, the bubble aspect of things with college hoops and whether or not it's, it's feasible to pull it off in Harrisonburg. I know you did a lot of legwork on that story, uh, talking to the commissioner of the CAA, Joe D'Antonio, Joey D., and also uh, asking Jeff Bourne about it and some others, the coaches, of course, as well. Is that realistic? And, and how would you see, uh, for, for those who haven't read the story, go read the story on dnronline.com. 
Do you think it could work? How would it work? What's your take? I mean, I think it could work. There's just, you know, a lot of questions. We, we've seen it work very well at the professional level. Um, but that, you know, is the professional level where you can negotiate with the players and their unions and everything to say, okay, this is how we're going to make it work. You know, we're, this is how we might compensate you for the extra time and energy and inconvenience that this all takes. It's a little bit different when you're talking about college athletes where they have coursework, they're not being paid, um, you know, things like that. But I think generally speaking, everybody involved is fairly desperate to get the season played. You know, whether that you're talking about money. players, that tournament coaches, administrators. Yeah. Um, yeah. So everybody's kind of looking at it as, you know, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. And, you know, they look at um, trying to put together some sort of bubble. And if, you know, you look at locations, I know Joey D'Antonio has said they're looking at kind of third party sites too. Um, there was an article in the Greensboro paper the other day about um, the ACC seems to be looking pretty hard at Greensboro where they, you know, often host their um, tournament. conference tournament doing, you know, their, their kind of regular season bubble there so you know you might see something like that but if you look at places that would make a lot of sense for the CAA Harrisonburg is one of those because of just the facilities that are available there'd be you know two buildings with three courts and you know depending on if the students are on campus you even could have you know the UREC center as a place that's kind of you know a home base for practicing and things like that there's there's a lot of facility advantages at JMU that you might see uh, the conference try to take advantage of if they do try to bring everybody to a central location and figure out how to play it, play a season, you know, all at once. No, I think so. I, I think that's a fascinating aspect and, and something that would be beneficial uh, to, to JMU in a year where they're opening up that brand new building. Uh, you might as well have something in there if, if for some reason you can't get fans and you can't play out a traditional type of schedule. Uh, it'd be good if at least that facility went went to use somehow. And 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 I, I think there's probably multiple possibilities with the bu bubble. You can correct me if I'm wrong. There's maybe ways to do it as as uh, a weekend bubble where you're playing maybe four. You get four teams in and you just play those three. You play those three teams uh, so many times and and you just kind of rotate through that way. Maybe you can extend it for longer if you have students away. Uh, and, and not and not on campus if you're trying to tack it on to the end of, uh, you know, toward the tail end of what would be a winter break. Uh, maybe you can run through and do six, seven games with more teams. Uh, th there's multiple ways to do it, correct? Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, kind of the question and the thing that they're weighing. Um, you know, do you try to bring all 10 CAA teams to one, one place and play – a conference season and, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks or three weeks, a month and bring everybody there and keep them there. Or do you let people come and go or like let teams come for a week or two and then come and go, or like you said, do it in smaller groups. You know, maybe you'd have a Northern location and a more Southern location within the conference. And, you know, then there's even talk about doing things um, at the non-conference level, just to try to make sure you're getting those games in. I know um, on the men's side of things, JMU, seems to be kind of looking at that option as far as, you know, okay, there's, you know, we could get six, seven teams from the general, you know, DMV area, yeah. you know, maybe we could just have everybody come in and get our games in while we can and make sure we're uh, 
get towards that minimum number of games necessary to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, that would make a lot of sense. And I know I've seen kind of some of the reports nationally about some of those early non-conference tournaments going to Orlando. Uh, I think, I think what was it, the, uh, the, there's going to be one played in South Dakota at the Pentagon there. Uh, so you, you've seen some of that already start to shift, uh, start to shift and, and go to a bubble for some of those typical, you know, Thanksgiving type of tournaments, uh, Christmas type tournaments that you see year after year. Now you mentioned that the CAA is weighing uh, the bubble in basketball, if they could do it. Uh, there's also a little more clarity about what the CAA football season could look like. The NCAA uh, Division One Council yesterday approved the FCS postseason as originally kind of drawn up by the FCS playoff committee and then approved by the Division One Football Oversight Committee. Uh, so that will take place mid-April through mid-May. It'll be kind of just straight through. I think the selection show will be April 18th, and then it'll run uh, to May 15th. And uh, I'm pretty sure it'll be in Frisco, Texas. Haven't heard the exact clarity there yet if it'll be Frisco or somewhere else, but Frisco is still under contract to host the game. So that's where it'll be football-wise for the FCS championship. Now it's up to the leagues to figure out what its schedule will look like. And as of last week, as I started to hear – uh, and you were on the call, too, when, when Jeff Bourne said there could be a CAA football championship game. Uh, that kind of came out uh, of nowhere a little bit, but it's something the league has talked about. And then after I spoke with, with Tony Trisiani at Elon, Mark Ferrante, Villanova, Kurt Signetti at JMU, uh, it seemed like it was a real possibility uh, that the league has at least discussed it at length. Now, there's good and bad uh, when you talk about a championship game. And it's funny, Shane, you, you, you're a Big 12, an alumni of a Big 12 school like I am. Uh, and all I could think of, I, I don't know if you thought of this when, when you read the story that I wrote, was all those years the Big 12 kept talking about that extra data point uh, in terms of trying to get in the college football playoff, whether or not to hold the championship game. That's at least what I was thinking of. Yeah, there's that. And then, you know, you look at that from the Big 12 standpoint, too. There's been years where that extra data point hasn't done them any good. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm a you know, Kansas native, not necessarily a Kansas State fan, but I can definitely remember 1998 <laughs> where that Big 12 or the Big 12 championship game did not do the league any favors as far as trying to get a national championship. Um, so, you know, it can go either way on you depending on how things kind of work out. Yeah, and that's, that's what Ferrante uh, and, and Trisiani were saying was that, yeah, it's great if you can play it as kind of an extra game to get that extra data point. But you got to also worry about if you're – so the league is likely going to be split in two, the CAA. And the schedule should come out uh, late October, early November. That's what I was told today. But the league will likely be split in two, north and south, and you, and you could have the winners meet in a championship game. Uh, you know, depending on how long the season is, I've heard six games possibly I've heard – seven possibly, eight maybe, uh, but I would think probably six or seven is more likely. Uh, depending on what you have, maybe you have an undefeated team out of the south and, and a one or a two-loss team out of the north, and that team in the north gets, gets beat by the team in the south, uh, all of a sudden that's looking like a bubble playoff team. And in a year where the FCS playoffs is going to be shrunk, what, part of what was approved yesterday, uh, I think – 
I think it's, it's, it's really an interesting debate because the field's going from 24 teams to 16 teams, and that 16-team field is going to be 10 automatic qualifiers and six at-large birds. So the at-large birds are at a premium, uh, which I understand why the league would think, you know, it's a great idea to have a championship game because then you do get that one true champion and you can, and you can also kind of put them into the playoff as your automatic qualifier without any uh, concern or anything about a tiebreaker that you may not want to do uh, if, if you don't have that championship game. So there's a lot of aspects to it. Uh, and you can kind of read all about that on, on DNRonline.com. Uh, I know I know our stories are there. They're also on the James Madison Rivals site. If you haven't read that in a while, jamesmadison.rivals.com. You can catch up with all the stuff there, uh, too, that Shane and I have written. So really fascinating stuff over the last couple of weeks. And I don't know about you guys, Cody and Shane. Uh, I'm just relieved we've got something on the calendar and we've got something to look forward to to cover. Uh, live sports are getting closer to coming back in Harrisonburg. Uh, it's, it's been a little bit since the Broadway Bruins wasted that uh, RCBL trophy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you the same way. I mean, uh, it feels like, you know, I guess it's been about six months um, since I covered a prep event. Uh, and, you know, like I said earlier, it's just been so much unknown. And, you know, we've just been kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And to finally have a plan – um, you know, I'm ecstatic to sit in front of my calendar now and, and kind of make a plan for, for December through uh, June. So, Yeah, we're, we're going to go from trying to dig for stories and not being totally too busy <laughs> to being uh, extremely busy, running from maybe a hoops bubble to a football game to a prep volleyball event. We're, we're all going to be uh, crazily busy uh, come, come like February, March, I would think. Uh, so going to be fascinating. But, guys, good stuff. Uh, there are live sports to watch, so let's get a quick answer. What are you guys watching on TV uh, this weekend sports-wise? College football, Major League Baseball, the NFL, hoops, hockey. What, what are you guys into? Shane first and then Cody. Probably check out a little bit of everything. I haven't really know, even during you know these playoff times, I haven't really necessarily sat down and watched an entire game too often. There's so much stuff going on. Um, you know, work and family wise, but um, yeah, I'll check in on the NBA playoffs, watch a little baseball, watch some college football, and, you know, check in on games here and there, and, you know, sample a little bit of everything. Do do a buffet style, I guess. Cody? Yeah, I'm, I'm a football guy. When, when Saturday hits, uh, you know, I, I don't do anything until uh, until football is over on Sunday night. So <laughs> um, I was supposed to be watching, as a Hokie, I was supposed to be watching a big rivalry game this weekend, so I'm still a little bummed out that that's not happening, but you know, I just got just got word. I'll be. I guess I'll do that in in December, and that's going to be a pretty brutally cold game in Blacksburg in December. <laughs> yeah, that that game, the Commonwealth Clash, moved to December twelfth. If you haven't seen it, uh, was canceled. Was scheduled for this Saturday, uh, but had to be postponed due to coronavirus outbreaks at Virginia Tech. So, uh, good stuff there. I'll be tuned in watching the Mets fail to make the playoffs, even with eight teams coming out of the National League this year. So. Uh, that's what I'll do miserably this weekend and, and watch obviously a little college football, a little NFL as well. Uh, I got the Giants 1 p.m. on Sunday against the Bears, so fired up for that. Uh, but st good stuff, guys. Good to talk with you. This has been another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Good stuff from Cody and Shane. Thanks for joining me, guys. And, and for Cody and Shane, I am Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in. <laughs>